Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Terry Metalis wrote and produced the TV series 12 Monkeys. I was a big fan. He was a big TNG fan. It was a match made in heaven for me that he was to write and executive produce season three of Picard. He was on the Zoom call to discuss whether Dr. Crusher was going to join the cast. I remember it well. Do you know what I love about him? He's a fabulous storyteller. He's a mensch. He's very funny. He loves what he does. He is loyal. He treats actors and his crews with respect. He responds to your questions. He tells the truth, but is not hurtful. It was a gift from the universe to have the chance to work with him on Picard Season 3. Take a listen and find out more about how he got to where he is in today's episode of Investigates, Who Do You Think You Are? Hi, Terry. Hi, Gates. This is uh, so much fun to actually be doing this with you. I would love to talk about all the secrets we're not allowed to reveal, but I won't do that. We can talk some, right? When are you gonna? When 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 will this well, air? I, I, yeah, it's not gonna air. Probably. We can tease a lot. <laughs> All right, we'll do that. We'll do that. But okay. first, I've been researching you after I figured out that. Uh oh. Um, yeah, really. Mm. I did. I know. I know. It's 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 sad, Terry. No, actually, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> where where were you born? In California? Uh, uh no, New Jersey. I'm a, I'm a, a a a Jersey boy through and through. Where uh, in New Jersey? Uh, it, uh, Parsippany, New Jersey. Uh, it's um, that's where the Karate Kid is from in the Karate Kid movies. <laughs> it's about it's like a, a northern New Jersey. Then I moved to uh, Bridgewater, Raritan, which is where I grew up. And how long did it take to get into the city, New York City? It was forty five minutes. Just hop on the train. Okay. And, yeah. Did you do that a lot? Uh, and once I was in high school and I figured out it wasn't like it was pretty easy to do. Yeah. Then I would I would skip class a lot and go into the city. And it was it was not really a time when uh, a teenager should just be zipping around Times Square in the uh, early 90s. Yeah, uh, it was a different place. <laughs> Put it that way. Well, I was living in New York in the uh, well, not the early 90s in in um the 70s and 80s, I was in New York until I came out for Star Trek. Uh, I, yeah. I loved New York City, I have to say, but I- I, I love New York City so much. Yeah. I, I regret never living there properly. But it's different now because when I've gone back, it really is not the same. It was much more still neighborhood. You could go get um, breakfast right down at the yeah. corner for like two bucks and- right. It was a really cool place, I thought. Um, mysterious. It wasn't just uh, only the wealthy sections. Now everything in Manhattan is so expensive. It's crazy. It, it is very expensive. It's a, it would be a hard place to So definitely. where were your grandparents born? Well, um, on my, my father's side, they were born in Greece. Uh, 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 um, and on my mother's side, uh, they were New Jersey. Uh, they were just Jersey folk. 
but yeah, I'm, I'm half Greek, which is where the Metallus name right. comes from. Right. Which, which Marina Sertens knows more about my family lineage than I do. <laughs> she, she's like, your family is from this island, you're Spartans, blah, blah. She had done all the research when she was in Greece, um, which I heard some of that, that we were Spartans. But like, you know, I think if you're Greek, don't you, isn't that just what you say? We're Spartans. <laughs> but like, we were, I guess we were legitimately of that, of that. So, um, but yeah, it was all confirmed by Marina. <laughs> That's hilarious. Who else, right? Um, yeah. How did your mom and dad meet? What was oh their story? God, this is so in depth. Um, <laughs> they were, it was a, uh, was it a kind of blind date? It was, yeah, it was kind of a blind date. They were set up through friends. As my mom says, she knew the second she met him, she's like, that's going to be my husband. No way. Wow. Yeah. I hear yeah. stories like that, but it's, I, I just, my mind never worked like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but what, what did they do? Where did they grow up? And, you know, you said your mom's family well, was from Jersey. So she grew up in that same town or? Same area. Right. And then my father, uh, uh, grew up in Syracuse, New York, um, and then moved down here. But uh, uh, we spent a good amount of my childhood. My dad was still, he went to Syracuse University, so he was still obsessed with the sports. So we would take four hour drives upstate <laughs> to go see those games, football and basketball. And right. that's it, I was just telling the story to somebody about that's kind of where my nerddom began because it was such a long drive. My dad would stop at a comic book store before the drive. Oh, wow. He'd be like, get whatever you want. This will occupy your time for when you're there. Uh, so I would be at these college football games as this little nerd reading Batman while these uh, these heavy drinking sports people are just looking at this kid like, what is going on here? That is hilarious. You know, yeah. when I was a little girl, my mother's grandparents lived in Westfield, Massachusetts in this Lithuanian community. They were both Lithuanian. And um, I don't know how, but we used to have cousins and we would have huge cardboard boxes filled with comic books. And yeah. that's what we'd do. We'd go see them, all the adults would talk and we would spend like six hours <laughs> reading it's comic books. Through the box. Yeah. yeah, but they did had different ones. I don't, I remember, loving batman superman i don't have memories as a little girl archie or anything like yeah, that. yeah i did and i always yeah. felt so sorry for betty yeah because <laughs> well be, no mainly because when i was a little girl my mother they didn't want to use uh penis and vagina so boys had a tommy and girls had a betty and i thought that's why archie wow. that's why archie didn't like betty her. And a tommy <laughs> Yeah, that'll <laughs> wow. So for the rest of your life, anytime you met someone named Tom, did you snicker? No well, way we I, I, there was a Tommy Oldham had a crush on me and I just, I couldn't deal with it. <laughs> Poor Tommy. <laughs> he had no idea it was set up. Oh, hilarious. Well, that's funny. Yeah. And so, and my mother's name was Veronica, by the way. So you would have thought I would have been on her side, but I just oh, felt, I felt they were not nice to Betty. Yeah. Did your mom work? My my mom did work. My my mom was one of the sort of first working mom moms in the eighties when that was a big when like working girl came out in the movie theater. It was like what an incredible idea, <laughs> women going into the office and um and so uh so that was always very uh just a part of our lives. What my, did she my do? Working parents. 
She worked in finance. She was a, like, a credit manager. Oh, my mother that did that too at a point. Yeah, that's funny. My, my father worked at a bank. My father was vice president of a bank. Okay. And how did he get into that? I mean, where did they, did they go to school and they were in that kind of a tract? Uh, no, I mean, neither of them loved it. In fact, I, you know, I think if my dad, my dad would have been into sports or filmmaking in, in some way or music. He was very much an, an artist who was sort of stuck in, I've got to put on a suit and oh. go to the office. Um, I mean, it's very clear. I mean, he was just, he was, uh, both of my parents were just um, joyful about all things, you know, um, art, you know, music and, and film and television and uh, sports and just anything that was joyous in that way. And so uh, I think he, I think it was a good job. You know, I think it's that thing that so many of us fall into, which is like, I need a job and I yeah. need to support my family yeah and i may not love it but hopefully i can like it enough and he was good at it but i think it took a lot of his soul away mm. the thing he instilled in me early was if you work hard throughout your life to do something that you love it'll never really feel like work um and uh, a day you'll never work a day in your life you'll be doing something that you love um and it's it's true uh he's passed now and he got to to see me do a, a great deal of all this i really wish he got to see me do this last season that mm. was I mean, he was a hardcore star trek fan it's how i became a star trek fan i read that i read that you guys used to watch together how old yeah, we, were you I'm, like how old were you when you were your memories of that well let's say i was born in 75 so when did next gen premiere 989 87, I thought it was. 87 or 88? Really, 87, so well, it's 12. Okay, 12, it's, okay. So 13 years old when that, that came. I mean, I remember vividly and that the the night it premiered. It was, a, it was a big deal. And he just, he would have been so thrilled to have seen this because oh. he loved all of you and it, it would have been, it would oh, been fun. Oh, that's so cool. Now, did your mother ever watch any of the Star Trek? Oh, or? absolutely. Oh. My mom's. It's, and still watches and can't cool. wait to see this. And, Very and cool. Do you have siblings? I have a brother. I have a brother. Yes, a younger. He's a year and a half younger than I am. What does he do? Um, he's into uh, sports. He 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 works uh, for um, a golf foundation. Actually, he loves golf. We're very different in that way. <laughs> so what were your favorite toys as a child? Like before 12? Like this is a early. deep dive. You're not kidding. This oh, is baby. like, yeah. Oh yeah. my God! I, am I gonna cry? This feels I'm, like I'm hoping walls. you're gonna weep. I'm hoping, yeah. <laughs> and, and then well, and then I'm gonna try to bring you out of it with joy. <laughs> uh, let's see. What were my favorite toys? Yeah, like oh. what's the first toy like you really remember? Because I can I have vivid memories of my toys. Like you know, what was well, the, the first one you remember? My first toys were. Pro I mean, that I I vividly remember were were probably the old school star wars toys were those were the most you the, traitor the you traitor I, I know well they didn't really have star trek toys that were no i know uh, i'm kidding you go in any store and get those star wars but um but i mean yeah i mean i, I remember just when return of the jedi came out just 
So how, how old were you then? Because you're still older. Uh, but Return of the Jedi, is that 83 or is that 81? Uh, you know, 81 so, is... So you, 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 don't, you don't have memories of like when you were like five and six, what you went when you went to school? I mean, they're like little puzzle things too that probably you had like those, like, um, do you remember uh, there'd be like a face and like little bits, tiny bits of like magnet and you could yeah, take yeah, yeah, yeah. ear out of it? Um, that's creating uh, characters in a way. It, it was 83. So I was eight years old when that's that's as far back as I, I go. Um, but I remember things like that and certain stuffed animals that are. So, so, OK. All right. What? Give me one of those stuffed animals. Come on. Describe it. What was it? Come on. Um, oh God. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is I mean, I had a Snoopy that was uh, uh, a, a tiny Snoopy that, oh, that went the through best. a lot of character development, a lot of hardship and character arcs that went through there. Uh, <laughs> this, there's this bear, this just standard teddy bear, real squatty, fat bear that oh. I remember quite a bit. Yeah. See, I think those those stuffed animals. I swear, I think they're so important when kids are. are little. They really are. You develop a relationship. I used to you talk to. Absolutely. Pinky Absolutely. and fuzzy all the time. I had a pinky too. That's really funny <laughs> you mentioned Pinky. I had a Pinky. I don't know why. But the um I had a friend who uh how do I say this? He was really into cannabis. He was a stoner. Let's just call it what he is. He was okay. a total and he's like he says this thing to me one day, he's like, Have you ever gone back in time and revisited your old toys when you're high? I'm like, What? Ooh, what a good idea. Talking, what are you talking about? He goes, just next time, <laughs> time you're in a real, like you're really high. I was like, okay. He's like, close your eyes and think back to some childhood memories and try to think about your toys. He's like, what will happen is you'll remember the toys, but because of the THC, you will remember the feeling mm. of what it was like. Mm. He's like, there, and I was like, I, 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 I was like, you're high now, even just telling me this. <laughs> Got to about a year and a half later, um, where let's just say somehow uh, I ended up in a state like that, let's just say, and I tried it. And what was interesting was he was right, but there was like an emotional response. Mm -hmm. It was the feeling of the toy wasn't, wasn't texture. It wasn't feeling the plushness of the toy. It was what that toy made me feel as a human that was a very identifiable, but I, I wouldn't be able to put it in the words, like a cross between comfort and joy, uh, a little mystery, because you didn't quite understand what you were looking at at that age, but he was right. Yeah, also safety, I think. Um, yes. You know, I um, that's sensory recall. That's, that's actor's training, what you just talked about, because you might start to go in there by thinking of, of what it looked like and the texture and all that but the, what the purpose is is to bring up that emotional connection that feeling and yeah. even just talking about it i have it so clear in my mind what my connection was you know and it was it was something that was secret it was truly personal you know it was really me and uh, yeah and i i loved it um well let me ask you this how because i've always been fascinated I mean, I know enough technique uh, to understand the basics of it, but what is it like 
when you go to that place on set on a Monday afternoon uh, and you know you've got a little bit of rehearsal and everybody's moving around and it's really distracting and you've got to get into that place. How are you, is that part of your training to access those feelings quickly? Yeah. Because for me, it would take probably a day there, right? I could do it or, you know, but I would have to be triggered. But that's what so, you that's what you do when you read the script. Um, obviously, people have different methodologies. Some people they don't want to over rehearse, but they've read the script, they've thought about the character, they they probably have made choices about what memories are they're going to use to help um, illuminate the character. It depends. Sometimes I really do need a focus if there's too much going on. Now a lot of people put headphones on, which I never learned that way, but it would make yeah. a lot of sense because people use mm -hmm. music a lot of times to get into it. Like you choose a piece of music that helps get you to that place. Mm -hmm. uh, there are songs, and it comes with what your growing up was like. For me in Ohio growing up, being allowed to drive a car when I was 16 and 17, go see my best friend who lived 25 minutes away, that was a big deal. So if I even hear songs that I played at high peak volume in my car, it really brings up a memory. Yeah. You know, no, of course. And, and, yeah. I, and I think that's true. You do have to work on things. There, there are things that are more accessible than others. But yeah, it gets to the point where, for example, I, I know that I've done stuff about my childhood toys and how I felt about things. So even just our talking about it, I, I had just a little fly through of emotion I could feel like I was a little kid, you know? Yeah. It's it's really cool. I love that stuff. I, I saw um, my last show was a very emotional show, 12 Monkeys. So a lot of the uh, putting on music and getting into that state would, would happen with a lot of the actors and, and actors. Emily Hampshire was, Emily Hampshire, who, you know, um, from mm -hmm. Shit's Creek, played the, um, uh, an extraordinary role in the in she was in she was amazing. She, played, she was amazing. She played the Brad Pitt character from the movie. Yeah, but she she's able to access instantaneously any of those emotions, um, and then um, pop out of it and be like, "Great, so what's for lunch?" And I asked her, I was like, "How are you able to?" Because it would take everyone else a minute um, uh, to to get there, and she's like, "Well, I'm I'm crazy," <laughs> and I I said and I thought about it, and I was like. Or you're ultra sane that you have such a control over who and what you are that you can immediately access that, bring it to the surface, and then move on. Like that's a quality. Boy, I wish I could. Um, when I'm upset, or you know, what a catharsis that would be to be able to get right. there quickly and deal with it. Yeah, it's being in an emotionally open state, and that's what a lot of people don't realize about. Um, acting you're kind of living that life all the time you're yeah. you're trying to allow yourself to emotionally feel things and yeah it's really great to be able to access it and have it happen and when something's really well written or a moment is really clear it's it is easy it's just like you know turning on water it's great did you have to do that for season three of picard to, yeah, there yeah. Moments tap into and... Yeah, but and there was it was easy because a there was so much history that we right. all shared, okay, and there was also private history of that time, and right, there's some new, new places Beverly goes. Emotionally. Yeah, and yeah. just 
the you know the difference in the size of the ship even and looking across and you I could access so many things that yeah I had so many thoughts going through my mind at a lot of the different times. Well, that's really interesting. What do you mean by the the size of the ship? Meaning that they're the bridge and it's sort the, of bigger than what you oh it was so that. much bigger. It was um, yeah. and it was uh, a colder bridge. Okay, it was. Um, yeah. I liked it. By the way, I loved it. I loved the uh, the way it was. It was much more cinematic to me, but the bridge before in our um, series was more of a of a living room feeling to me. Yeah. You know, so that right. was that was very interesting. Yes, you know, something that you. <laughs> well, my son learned to walk on that bridge, so I definitely had that feeling. Um, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. But so I want to go back to a couple of things. So when did you first did you see the movie La Jete when you were like in school or when in you, films in film school? Yeah. Because I saw uh, that, that in the '60s, but that was a profound film for me. I remember, and it was new. It was not like people who had written about it. It was like right. I, I saw it, and I my mind was blown. I couldn't even get all of it. I had to watch it a couple of times. Right? Yeah, we did a full analysis <laughs> in the class, and it was it's interesting because I remember at the beginning of the classes, we're going to see a science fiction thing. And you're like, oh science fiction you say and they're like but it's all black and white and still photos and you're like oh but they're like just give it a chance and it it blew us away all of us i mean clearly everyone because they went yeah. and turned that into a film um but yeah no it's brilliant in fact um chris marker who made much right right had to sign off on the television scene Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know uh, that. And, and it was one of the last things um, he did before he passed. And um, it was difficult to access him because he lived out in France. And the only way you could, it's so remotely, the only way you could get a hold of him is through this convenience store that oh, had wow. a phone and a fax. Wow. And we faxed the script to this convenience store. Wow. <laughs> it's for him to look at. And um, he signed off. Um, That's amazing. Uh, you know, which was was an honor. Um, Terry Gilliam, not so much. Mm. But mm. but really, Chris Parker did. did. Yeah. Did he give you trouble, Terry Gilliam? Uh, he didn't give us any trouble. He just publicly said, "This is a, this is a terribly stupid idea. No one should do it." Um, mm. And you know that that was a bummer. It was before we came out, and um, you know, sort of the the IP craze of like reboots and, and whatnot. And we had decidedly um, gone in a different direction aesthetically. We didn't think, we didn't want to do Terry Gilliam style. Right. Because we would do it bad. We're not going to do it as well as Terry Gilliam. And the the original instinct when we talked to the producers was to make it more of a thriller um, with David and Janet Peoples who wrote the script. So we, um, we, we, after speaking with them, who also signed off, read our script, that's the direction we went into. Um, but yeah, Terry Gilliam wasn't so wasn't so thrilled about it. Well, in the original La Jete, I it was beyond brilliant to me how not only was the character falling in love with this woman, but we, the audience, fell in love with the woman the second right. she smiled and blinked. Uh, right, emotion. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it, it that I think was the first time that I understood how a director can manipulate the audience and actually. Mm -hmm. You are, as an audience, I don't mean in a bad way, I mean in a really cool way, you are experiencing 
what in real time what the character is experiencing right which is i mean that's so profound to me and yeah. it really illuminates what any piece play be it a play i'm thinking plays for me that's what i love to do it in you know, like I like the audience, if the character's feeling claustrophobic, I want the audience to feel claustrophobic or voyeuristic or whatever. It's not something that's done in a negative way. It's really done to open you up to um, just other planes of reality and how you're perceiving something, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So what was the first time that you remember that you wanted to go into like film or TV? Um, I, I, I saw, let's see, it was 81. So my dad, um, had like one of the first VCRs, wow. like 81, 82. And he knew this video store owner who was somehow getting bootleg movies, movies that had not officially come out. He probably filmed with cameras, mm -hmm. who knows how, how mm -hmm. it was done. And he had Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow. Um, he had Empire Strikes Back. He had all these, all these E.T. Um, and, you know, it's sort of interesting now because when I, when I think back on that, when you have just four tapes in your library and you're a kid, you're watching them over and over again and that they're informing your DNA of filmmaking and, and what you like. Whereas I, I look at my kid now, who has an infinite amount of material to watch at any moment. He can pick any movie that has ever come out and click a button and watch it. So it's, um, the influences are different. Very different. But, uh, but um, I remember um, Raiders and I, I remember I, I built the Ark of the Covenant out of like a cardboard box and painted it and whatnot. And, and I was like starting to be like a prop guy um, <laughs> at seven years old. Um, and that's when I knew it was having a real influence. E.T., mm, I remember mm. um, getting the score on, on a vinyl album. Oh, wow. And sitting in a room and playing it on repeat and just being carried away by that, that music uh, and inventing my own stories right. to go with it when you say your son has just, you know, access to so many, yeah. it is such a different experience. And obviously there's things that you lose and obviously things you gain, but how can you process all the new material? I watch stuff relentlessly and I, I find it's hard to process everything. Whereas when right. you, when you watch something that hits you strongly and you watch it over and over and over, I feel you go much deeper into yourself and understanding of your view of the world. I know a movie that really hit me growing up really strongly was High Noon. Um, mm, yeah, it was well, absolutely. very Aristotelian. Okay. <laughs> but just to see that in one day was so brilliant to me. And the arc of all the characters, uh, I really remember that having a big influence on me. And also the animation, Disney's animations of Pinocchio and Dumbo. Dumbo was huge because it was the only one where it wasn't a mother or father who died. <laughs> you right. know, the, the mother lived and it was a friend who was so different from the elephant. That's it was sort of camaraderie that made made things happy in the world. And I loved that um, believing in yourself, that whole thing. I used to have dreams about flying 
for years <laughs> after I saw Dumbo. Right, but think about it, right? So you saw it in the movie theater, yeah, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that was a singular event. It wasn't like right. when you were done, you could go home and even go on YouTube and find out how it was made. It was like, how it was made. You read about it in the newspaper, maybe. Um, so it's such a big moment burned into you. Right. Uh, brain. Um, and again, I think that's probably, uh, I feel fortunate to have grown up in the 80s. And then, of course, watched this. It, I love now that I can watch anything that I want. I do enjoy that. But it was magical. Yeah. To just not know what was going to happen. For, for instance, if Encounter at Farpoint came out today, they would have released 27 clips. You would right. have done so right. much press right. for it right. that it have, you basically know the plot yeah. going in. There would yeah. be all, multiple trailers every which way. There wasn't, you know? I it know. was an event. There was an event, but nobody knew what they were going to turn into that 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 night. See, I love movies. I want to ask about. There's so many things I want to ask you about. But I saw a movie by um, Denis Villeneuve. You know the guy who did Dune. Oh, right. Yes, um, of course. But I didn't know this. You know, I have that place in France. So this was a long time ago. I don't know. It must have been 2000 something, but I don't know what. So I was in a video store in Paris. This was before we had streaming. And I just asked a stranger, I said, okay, so what's the best French movie or that's come out? And they went, Incendie, which I, th I think is called like probably The Fire in English. I don't know it. It's so brilliant. And what I love about that kind of movie is I started watching it and I'm like, wait, what, is this a documentary? I don't get this, what? And part of it was done, there were certain scenes that were all black and white and they were gorgeous. And then you would go into something that seemed like a documentary that was in color. And then all of a sudden you start on this journey. It, to me, was one of the most brilliant movies I've ever seen. Oh, I love him, it, so I, I've got to see this. It stayed with me so long. And what I loved about it is me as an audience member, I kind of was like, should I stay with this? I don't quite understand it. It's beautiful. You know, and I finally let go and just watched. And by the end, never, if you had asked me, I never would have dreamt that it went the direction it went. It's it's wow. a pretty amazing movie. Uh, I, I mean, I, he's, I've got, yeah. Check it out. It's very different. It's not science fiction, but I love it when there's things unfold and you have no idea what's going to happen. There's there's a bunch of that in our season three. You know? There is a lot, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we mm -hmm. don't. We, yeah, and I, I love that. I love the fact that you, you think it's about one thing and then it becomes something else. And When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When did you first, Terry, know that, did you start to write or like the process of writing Were you when you were in college or high school? Or? I, I, um, Wow, here's something I've never talked about. So after I saw Star Trek three, which I think is uh, 80, well, Star Trek three was, let's see, I remember I was in 
84, right? So nine. I, uh, my grandparents had a typewriter and I started to write like a weird Star Trek ripoff thing with my friend in class. Oh, cool. And we were drawing Star Trek and things. <laughs> but I, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, yeah, but then, you wanted to. You wanted to write. I, I mean, yeah, I just thought it was cool, right? Yeah. So we were, Mike is doing similar things with Minecraft, which is a video game. He loves to tell stories in, in that world. Um, but the... It, uh, it was in, in in high school or junior high, I started making this weird futuristic war movie in my backyard um, called M510, which, which is a number I sneak into everything I do I somehow. Love it. Um, what, did, a, what did it stand for, M510? And were you on a Super 8? It was a, it was a special unit of, of <laughs> <laughs> futuristic warriors uh, who are designed to stop this terrorist organization uh who that who knows what they wanted they were bad that's all i remember wow. and they fought in our backyard um and so all my friends you know and we would we would tell that story and then we would draw comic books about it and whatnot so it was always like a thing i mean it's unwatchable i didn't even i didn't even know you were supposed to cut so it's like so i, I don't you know uh it was it was it's pretty bad but the um it was always there and then i went to a performing arts high school uh in new jersey and um so i would share my time in the morning i spend four hours at this performing arts high school and then go to my regular high school after and it fulfilled like gym because we were doing <laughs> dance and theater and whatnot right but, uh, um i was like one of three guys and 42 uh girls um it, it was a, it was a fascinating time in high school um and uh um I started writing plays and I was not paying any attention to of my academics. So I was in deep trouble in my real high school because all I cared about was theater. So crazy. Um, and so you uh, wait a minute, wait, I want wait what subjects, what kind of plays were they? Oh were you uh, they were all different kinds. They were all different kinds. The one that the one that got me into college. So there, the, my grades, it, my academic grades were so bad because I just didn't care. I, history, there were certain subjects I would love. History, they'd be like, how is it this kid has an A in history and a D minus in geometry? I'm like, I don't care about geometry. I've never used geometry. Right. Or, or when, when we got into biology and we needed to like memorize the name of a worm's stomach, I was like, this is not going to be a thing for me. But it, I drove my poor parents crazy. <laughs> Um, so but this one play that I wrote was about these two rivaling talk show hosts, um, uh, who had just been, just found out they were about to be canceled. And, um, <laughs> they both find out they, they find out that, yeah, they're about to be canceled and this, they have a rivalry and it's stupid. It's really stupid. Um, however, Peter Hedges, who wrote, uh, the book in the film, What's Eating Gilbert Great, came down from New York to see it. No, with um with a friend, uh, who, one of the teachers um at this school, Bill Timoney, who was an actor, uh, um brilliant actor as well. And afterwards, he uh, Peter's like, you, I couldn't get ahead of this. This is a great story. He's like, you're a writer. I was like, I don't think I'm a writer. He's like, I just I'm like I just needed something to act in. I, and he was <laughs> like, No, 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 you're a writer. And um, wow. he ended up writing this beautiful letter that helped me get into college because 
colleges were looking at my grades going, there's sure he has artistic merit. He has absolutely no academic right. merit. Um, and at the time, Emerson College had this uh, program. I wonder if they still do where they would let you in contingent on what your first semester grades were going to be. Yeah. So they're like, we're going to take your money. We normally would not let you in. I remember However, that. Uh -huh. You have shown so many, you've shown artistic merit. Now you've got to, you've got, you can't get below a B average or whatever it right. was. Um, and so that's how I got into Emerson. That's amazing. So, so you went to Emerson. What year was that? Oh, let's see. So I went in 94. Yeah, I graduated in 98. Did, so did you ever have a teacher named Scott Richard? I did not. Scott okay. Richard, what did he teach? Well, he was a student of mine at Brandeis, and he taught acting when he went to Emerson. Oh, yeah. So I didn't go. I, I went for for television. I majored in television. Oh, okay. Film. So he with a, minor, with a minor in film. So, oh, I see. So you went into the writing program for television and, and producing. Did they teach you how producing. to do producing too? Yes. Um, we I ended up getting a, a television job. I was one of the first freshmen to like, because they had a, a television studio there that they would give you studio time. And um, if you could pull together all the different departments in the school, the acting and the production folk and lighting and whatnot, you could have a TV show. And I was one of the, the first to do that. And it actually, I took that, I took that stupid play and turned it into a TV show um, <laughs> that was already rebooting. Um, and so that was, that was a, a thing to do. And it, and it definitely was a microcosm. I mean, there was a lot of lessons because, uh, you know, I remember freshmen, I mean, it's, you can get an ego suddenly you're like this hot, the hot filmmaker is a freshman in school. I mean, like, this is just going to be easy. I mean, you know, thankfully, it was uh, spanked out of me uh, by life. Um, but it was a, it was a fascinating time. Emerson had a great thing, though. The final year at Emerson, you could do an internship in Los Angeles, which felt a million miles away to me. Like, yeah, I bet. Angeles, Hollywood, my God, nobody, go, not a Jersey kid would not. Um, and so I started sending, Star Trek Voyager was on the air. And I started blowing up their fax machine, asking us to work for free for Star Trek Voyager. As a PA? As, as an intern. Oh, not as even an a intern? PA. Yeah, no, a PA would okay. be a dramatic promotion. Okay. Intern working for free. But you would get college credit for it at okay. Emerson. That was so amazing for it. So we moved, to, uh, and I got a, uh, a call from Peter Lawrence in the Post. Yeah, I know. Peter. I'm, no, you have to, right? <laughs> um, and it, it was like, yeah, we can use an intern work. We've got two shows and a movie happening. We're drowning over here. So that's how I got into show business. And, and so who pay, but you have to pay for your getting out there and living and all it's that. It's all part of your tuition because part okay. of your last year. Got yeah, it. I mean, I think it was extra to, we would go live at the Oakwood apartments in Burbank. Oh. I don't know if you're. Oh, those. I know them well. Yeah. All right. Yeah, okay. Those furnished. Those, <laughs> and so we would live there and then go to our, our internship. Okay. We have a car. And so. Um, there I was in 1998 driving onto the Paramount lot and you wow. guys were starting, uh, you know, you had finished first contact We'd, and insurrection. Yeah. Yeah. So what was, um, what was your least favorite job? What was the least favorite day, um, as an intern, you know, give me a really bad experience. Well, uh, yeah, as an intern, certainly yeah. it was, you know, it was all tapes back then. I mean, you remember it was there was no, nothing was online. 
So it, when an episode had to go out to producers, you had 125 videotapes that needed to be delivered. Um, and it, it was a nightmare. And sometimes they would get half inch and three quarter tapes. And you, you, it was, um, if, if you were taking a bike around the lot, you could only bring so many tapes. You were doing about 10 trips to deliver all these things. Um, you know, and then on top of that, I would get lunch for Peter. Right, and, right. I mean, I was doing anything. I was saying yes to anything. Yeah. In fact, I, I at one point I started assisting a production assistant there who was like, oh, I've got somebody to boss around now. So <laughs> I was getting them lunch yeah. and coffee, but it, that's that's what you had to do to. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. I, I had no clue about any of the uh, hierarchy in film production or anything when I did Star Trek. That was a good thing that people today, they understand all this. They understand how to do uh, the technology and everything. And uh, I didn't have a clue. Were you aware of Star Trek before? Mm -hmm. It was really on your radar. It was on my radar as posters. I would walk past in like Times Square poster shops right. and I would see the iconic, you know, I'd see pictures of, of all of the cast members. And I probably had seen like three minutes of it at some point, but I, I really didn't watch TV because I was either teaching or commuting. I commuted teaching in two different places when I was uh, first in New York. So I didn't really know Star Trek at all. I started watching it, obviously, once I got Star Trek. I didn't know what a Klingon was. I didn't know what warp speed was. It was friends of mine who said, you don't know what warp speed is? You idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this actually, um, trans no, it's a transition to a question I wanna ask you. Uh-oh. So probably around this moment in your career, this is where you would become part of one of the great ensembles, I think, of all time. I'm speaking, of course, of the Muppets. What was it like to be in a scene with all <laughs> of the all the key Muppets? Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty big. When I first auditioned for that, I don't think I'd auditioned for a movie before. I had just gotten my equity card that year. Jim had seen me in Cloud Nine, where I did this triple role, and he wanted somebody with my skills. He wanted someone to teach movement, to act, and to work with masks and puppets. And so he had had his eye on me through someone who told him about me. So I get a, a meeting for Muppets Take Manhattan. And I'm like, well, you know, she it, it's like a three line part or four lines, you know? And my agent says, yes, yeah, so here's where you are supposed to go. And I go and I'm the only one in the, the office lobby. There's no other actors. Usually you see 40 people who look like you and are exactly, right, you know, right, right. there was yeah. nobody. And then I'm ushered in and it's Jim and I had, prepared my four lines, but he didn't even ask me to read. He was just talking to me. Wow. <laughs> and then he goes, well, yeah, okay. I think this will be great. And then I get the show. And so I'm filming and they, they have, they're down in a pit and they're holding all of the puppets up. Right. It's Jim, it's Frank, it's everybody. Yeah. It's, and you're, uh, you're in, there's quite a few Muppets in your scene. Yes. It's, oh, they're all there. But yeah, he did incredible. this thing where someone calls the ad calls a break i'd run it maybe once with the, all of them so right. i'm nervous and it's my first feature 
and everyone disappears. And I'm still sitting at the desk and Kermit is there and he's looking in a, um, a frame, a picture, and it's like he's looking at his pimples or something. He's like looking with such detail <laughs> at himself it was so real and I just well, I said what are you what are you doing and he answered me and it was so amazing because it's like Kermit is talking to me yeah. and apparently they do this to every first time actor on a film set where they Jim wants everyone to leave and he wants to have this moment where you believe the puppet is real and it totally it totally worked for me I was like having a conversation and I went wait a minute what Wait a minute, Jim. That's, I mean, you know, it was so perfect. <laughs> what a dream. That is that that is wild. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. And then after that I started doing other projects and I did a really cool movie called Dream Child which I, I Ian Holm, Jane Asher, Peter Gallagher and then I was in charge of all directing all of the creature shots. And it was state of the art animatronics at the time but it was impossible. I had live actors on the set this was at elstree studios in england right and uh and, and i have ian home right was, was, ian home was in it i didn't have scenes working on it with him mine was like the mad hatter and took seven people to do the animatronics for one face but it was wow. it was amazing um and we had one week to shoot all of it and things would break down gavin miller was the director of the film and he was cool i liked him a lot and i liked the movie it's a really interesting movie Anyway, see it. Um, never seen it. what are some of your favorite movies? Mm. I know you loved Star Wars. I know um, you said E.T., but are there other genres? Well, I mean, I certainly I mean, I'll go to non-genre in a second. But um, in the genre world, I mean, it was it's certainly Close Encounters. It's Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, Goonies. Uh, Ghostbusters. I mean, I was an '80s kid. These were yeah, yep, yep, yep. Formative, formative things for me. Do you still Just have a DeLorean car? I, I, I have two. DeLorean you cars. do. You have two. So I have one from the movie because I helped restore those cars for. I uh, read that. It's incredible. And then I have just a regular stock uh, DeLorean that has is low mileage. That what um, color? What color? Well, they're all they're all stainless. Well, I mean, you can get them painted, but oh. stainless. The okay, stainless steel with the. With oh, the I thing. didn't know that. I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah, and um, I got the second one because. Um, well, they're cheap, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely cheap. They uh, so many people are drilling into them and turning them into Back to the Future cars, and I had done that, and there was a guilt to it, so I wanted to take one and keep it preserved oh, cool. as as. Uh, as so so yeah that that certainly that car had a lot of influence on uh on me i would say that the non-genre stuff i always think although field of dreams is kind of genre yeah though i mean i'm trying to you know god anything from that to dirty dancing to the insider to uh i mean there's so many your brain needs support and new ollie brainy chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The talk about why you chose to go more with the Star Trek as opposed to go with Lucasfilms or something. Was it just because that's where you got your internship? No. Um, so when t- 12 Monkeys finished, I remember um, I sent an email. And Discovery had started to come back on the air, and, and I had read an article about how they wanted to do several Star Trek shows. And I sent an, an email to my agent, Pete Stone, at the time, the subject was star and then the body it's a trek and he called me he's like what's this about i was literally in the edit bay for my last one with uh my editor drew nichols who came on this star trek with me um and uh i just wanted i wanted to get in there i don't didn't know how i mean lucasfilm had you know they're all working with giant filmmakers and i'm just not a giant filmmaker i would love nothing more than to do a star wars um you know, but they they tend to recruit from right. Big did you did you watch I, Andor? I'm I love it. I'm watching. It's still on. Yeah, it's, I think uh, it's so smart. The most recent episode has maybe one of my favorite um, scenes about war uh, the, uh, in anything I've ever seen. Which scene? Because uh, are you caught up? Yeah, it was the scene with Stellan Skarsgård and Forrest Whitaker deciding what sacrifice they should make. Right. Yeah. In order, I mean, because that that was such a real thing. It is continues to be such a real thing. Is do you out your source, or do you you know, or do you let people die? And which was a thing in World War II that happened often. Mm-hmm. If you know, if the Nazis knew we broke their code. Well, that's I, I why I like someone like Terrence Malick. I thought the Thin Red Line was a pretty oh, brilliant right, film. Right. So brilliant and done in a way that's so elegant and you. Th- think it's going to be a story about good and bad and it's actually a story about how the whole thing is so so fucked up uh, yes. it, you know Horrible. and and how there's so much beauty around us when he does that close-up of like a, a dragonfly or something or a blade of grass and he's yeah. like look what we are not seeing because we're just we're trying to demonize an entire race of people right. you know it, right. it's Dune is, uh from beginning to end in every aspect of it so unbelievable brilliant and from sound design to music to score to to how difficult to i think to make that world accessible i agree but also be faithful to how intricate and in the novel i i i love it there's a feminine point of view in dune and see in star wars i felt it was much more it was much more macho to me than um I like some of the new stuff because there's a there's also a feminine sensibility in it. Like Twelve Monkeys had a feminine sensibility in it. Um, Big time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's infinitely more interesting if if it is. And I think you know, in Twelve Monkeys, it was just something that came natural and organic. And we we started to get after season two a lot of interviews and a lot of focus on this being an incredible show for women mm-hmm. and. We're all kind of taken aback by it because it wasn't something we set out to do. It just happened. It was what we, how it was just storytelling. That's all. Um, and we didn't really. It wasn't an intention. But you're a generation that grew up with, like, you had a mother who worked. Uh, 
it, right. it's, it's a different time than like, totally normalized. Yeah. yeah. What is a really great memory you have with your mom when you were a child? <laughs> uh, there used to be this, uh, this local, um, uh, judge who would come on, on like, uh, uh, like channel 13 on like PBS at like 1130 at night. And we would just <laughs> watch this stupid judge, you know, my, if my father worked late at the bank, uh, she would always take my brother and I out, um, you know, for like French onion soup at like some dark restaurant. I mean, um, you know, my she, she juggled both. She was she was uh, she was a working mom, but also a mom mom. And so there is many moments without my father, who is who was full time, uh, that she was still able to make that childhood magical. I don't know how you do it when it's something as enormous as say Picard season three it's huge yeah. yeah um I know that you talk to all of us and uh, you know I adore you I really felt such a great vibe from you immediately and just the whole team was oh, just wow. so great what though were some of the moments without talking about plot where you just thought I don't know this is just overwhelming because we had COVID we had all of that we had everything yeah um it's all about time Mm. You know, mm. it's funny, as, as obsessed with time travel I am, it, it is always about time. You, There's just not enough of it. By the time we had decided to pull the trigger and do this particular season, by the time I convinced the studio um, uh, that it was the right thing, and um, by the time we, you know, we had to obviously go out and get all of you and be like, this is what we're planning on doing. Patrick, for, first and foremost, had to sign off on this idea. Um, so much time was burned. Mm. You got to, you have to just go. So, um, and then suddenly, what is becoming, what was this fantasy in your brain of doing the final next generation story, um, uh, is shooting in a week, and your phone is blowing up with everybody wants to talk about the script, everybody right. props, you know. There's, just, there's no time. Uh, the, the the question I get the most is, as a fan, were you able to sit around with that cast and look around and be like, my God, I'm here. I'm like, no. Of course not. Um, yeah. I am now in post. When I look at it, I'm like, oh my God, we got to do this. Like there are things you and I both want to scream about. Like right. it, the, it's big, um, but, uh, but you can't. Uh, but we got to do it. Now it's it's okay. When you're doing it, it's just, it's so stressful. It's so hard making television. Um, and by the way, it, it's all all shows. You yeah, know, I think that's biggest, true. The biggest, the biggest show on television, mm -hmm. Star Wars, all, they all have the same. They might have more money, um, but they have a time. Well, and special <laughs> effects take so long. Special uh, effects and money, you know, yeah. do you have money to do what you want to do? Um, it, when uh, you, you know, were when you were casting, for example, for the villain, uh, now that we know yeah. that Amanda Plummer is oh, yeah. in it, okay. Right. So, how did you did you know that you wanted a female, or were you just open to whoever was going to hit you? Uh, I I knew I wanted Amanda. Oh, good. Okay, she yeah. she is amazing. We, we 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 when we set out to to write that character, it was sort of a man. I, I love Amanda. I always Me too. wanted to work. With her. 
Yeah. Bummer. And so I, I, I just remember being in the room like it's it let's I didn't think we would get her, but I was like, just imagine it's Amanda Palmer, right? Oh wow. Yes. Okay. And, and we went, we knew we wanted her to be larger than life, but grounded in a way that made sense her motivations. Um and that's just what it was. And then we went out to her and it was a resounding yes. But but speaking of one of those things where you're like, you don't know if it's gonna work out or not. I don't know if you remember, we didn't have Amanda for like the first half of the season. So anytime anyone was talking to Amanda on a view screen, it was an AD, you know, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. But you know, it's, right, it's, right. it's not the thing. Right. And so we didn't really know what Amanda was going to bring. We had hopes until um, the day she finally came in and would shoot um, a big chunk of her, her, her stuff uh, in one in one uh, spaceship sequence, and we didn't know. And then when she just started talking on camera, um, the, if you could have been around Video Village where all the monitors are, the writers were hugging, oh wow, holding yeah. each other, congratulating. Like it was, it worked. Yeah, it, it worked. worked, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah, um, better than we had hoped. Um, and that's that's. That's a joy. That's really exciting. Yeah, no, uh, she's brilliant. She's totally brilliant. I think the fans are going to go nuts. Well, I just would like the audience to know how much I loved working with you, and I want you to know that. You, I've told you well, that. I want you to know how much we loved working with you. <laughs> you were phenomenal and so patient with us. Oh, please. Um, I was and, not. I'm not. I'm an impatient person. Are you kidding? <laughs> you're not. You were not. Even when you were passionate, you were you were deferential. You know, uh, uh, it, it would be funny. You're like, I really feel strongly, but I understand. <laughs> you were like, well, no, no. Yeah, I mean, I get, look, the, the, it, it's, I've said this before, I don't believe anyone's going to know Beverly Crusher better than you. So, um, and even though we may, like on tiny things, we may be like, well, I think she's going to be a little bit more of this than you think. We need, it has to be 100% um, authored by you in some way. Um, or else it's not gonna it's not gonna feel legit. It, I, I, like the last thing we would ever want was for you to have to play an inauthentic Beverly Crusher. You know, and I and I said this too. I remember all the phone calls. Is you've lived with this character. You go out on stage and hear from fans what this character means uh, to people. Um, the questions they ask about her relationship with Jean Luc Picard and, and whatnot. Who's better to talk? To talk about well, this. but it's also yeah. it's fascinating to then have a, a script or storyline that's that's not necessarily what one has thought, but then to to take it in and uh, chew it around a while and see what you come up with. That's a really cool process, and that obviously wasn't. It's not like I said this is this is what I've thought. It's you get handed something and it's a gift, and you have to figure out. Uh, I'm I'm. Very interested to see how fans are going to react to some of the storyline because you could see her as really she sh that was a bad thing to do, or you could see her as well that was the smart well, thing to do. She's very human. I, I think she's yeah. very she, she's very human in it, and um, I I I am very confident that Beverly is going uh, is going to come out on top. Uh, uh, I think. 
the season illustrates Beverly's um, life decisions in ways that are clear that she's kind of always right in about some things. Um, and and I and I think you know we'll talk more obviously when it airs. Yeah. But it to me and and everyone, uh, it's uh, Beverly, Beverly in some ways is is this is the smartest one in the room. I think um, one of my favorite scenes that I'll tease is um, it's actually a, on its surface a really dark scene between you and Patrick late in the season where you reference how you're in a very dark bad situation i'll say um maybe uh, maybe we'll pause it and i'll tell you what the scene is but the, i think i uh, know i think i know it, it, it's a moment where you're like i uh i took an oath to do no harm right <clears throat> and here is who we were mm -hmm. in star trek the next generation yet here are who we are now mm -hmm. and the the choices the choice before both Patrick and Beverly in that moment is a difficult, dark choice. Yeah. Um, that I actually do. I thought about it. I was like, no, I, I do think they would have told a story like this in Star Trek, the next generation. I think, I think in this particular moment, it feels like, wow, they're going there. Um, and I think that that's, what's terrific about being able to play a character for this amount of time is to see that change. Yeah. Um, but honor what, who they were and see that they still are that person ultimately, you know, I, 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 I it was a fascinating thing. And it's, it, I, it, the, both of you are so good in that scene. It's, it's, uh, I'm really looking forward to people seeing it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I haven't seen that part yet. Clearly in the time away from being with everyone in next gen, the way it was before she's had to make some very, very difficult and lonely choices. Um, yes. Not so much for herself, but for someone else. And I think that part of her character, um, I like a lot. I like the fact that she's uh, willing to take the hard road. And while other people might think it was wrong of her to do it, she really, I think, has looked at all sides. I mean, that's the way I have to play it, that she's really... Yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah, that there's a sort of nobility in that, even though she might feel that she's failed in many ways and she'll re-question whether that was the right thing to do. Um, but it was awesome to do the season with you. And I hope wow. to, I hope yeah. it's just the beginning of uh, working with you because you're, you're terrific. I would love super to talented, super talented, super talented. Beverly Crusher for sure. <laughs> Well, thank you for taking the time. Um, well, thank you. And it, it uh, so much to me to to do this with you and to and you were I mean you're I can't wait for people to see what you did in this season. They're going to be blown away and you're I back at you, Terry. You've done an amazing. It's like a Herculean job and uh, I think it's terrific, okay? <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. I love me. you. I love you. I love you. Okay, bye. Bye. was a gift from the universe to have worked with this incredible storyteller and producer. Terry appreciated the female actors as much as the male actors, and that is not always the case in Hollywood. I can only imagine the body of work left to come from this writer-producer. 
And yes, of course, I hope to participate in those things, even if I have to play the old maid who knits in the corner. I'm truly thrilled he did my podcast so I could find out more about him. Thanks for listening. And please tune in next week for another episode of Investigates. Investigates.